Hello and welcome back in the trenches. We are live from Phoenix, Arizona on the heels of a wild, high stakes and stressful or euphoric, depending on your team, week two of college football. It was beautiful. It was the most high stakes football we've had at one time. And there were some pretty earth shattering things that happened in the college football world. So we will touch on all of those uh, in today's episode. We're going to do our week two recap and predictions, talk about some of the biggest storylines emerging in college football at the start of the year. Uh, we're going to re recap the MacGuffin. Washington has the MacGuffin. They had a game this weekend against Tulsa. We'll talk about that. We'll give out the Budgeman Award for week two. Week one was Dylan Edwards with Colorado. We'll see where it goes in week two. Going to announce where the last dance tour will be headed for week three. And we're going to announce who the special guest will be for the Wednesday show this week. Pretty excited about this special guest, and we'll announce that later. And then we'll also do an updated CF Budge 20, Top 25 to let you guys know where I'm at with my rankings and in the national picture up to this point in the season. Appreciate everyone tuning in live via TikTok. Appreciate everyone tuning live via YouTube as well. Uh, don't forget to follow CF Budge on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, all of the above. And uh, in the trenches on Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, if you're listening now, thank you so much for joining us. One of the things I saw this weekend that really bothered me is people calling week three a dud weekend. In particular, Stuart Mandel with ESPN. He said, week three is a dud, but look at these great games in week four. That is one of the great pitfalls of casual college football fans. Looking at a week on paper, seeing that there's no ranked matchups, and just labeling a weekend as a dud weekend. That is ridiculous, man. We have got great games all over the place. We have only nine Power 5 teams playing FCS teams after a bunch of those games in the first couple weeks. So we are seeing a lot of Power 5 on Power 5 action and between teams that you have no idea what's going to happen. Last week, he, Stuart Mandel probably would have called Wisconsin and Washington State a dud game. And guess what? Washington State goes out and wins that. We've got a lot of small spreads with big teams, big teams going on the road in a tough environment. Penn State at Illinois is an example of a game like that. You've got Mississippi State hosting LSU. You've got Washington having to travel to a hostile Michigan State team. You've got the uh, backyard brawl between Pitt and West Virginia, renewable rivalry. Colorado, Colorado State getting all the hype too as well. So we'll talk about all those games, but come on, man, like calling this a dud weekend, that is just, that's just soft. And I think that's just a sure sign of a, a casual and someone that really doesn't appreciate college football because in the NFL, you might be able to call a weekend a dud weekend and just be looking forward to the next one or looking forward to the postseason. In college football, we don't do that. We live it up and we live every second of every Saturday because that's what the sport revolves around. And that is Saturdays. And that's the most important part about being a college football fan is just loving every moment of every Saturday because it is about Saturday and these types of weekends the dud weekends are where upsets always come out of nowhere always sneak up and get you but let's get to the week two recap and reactions we'll start with the biggest one Texas and Alabama Texas wins 34 24 the Longhorns are back that is the thing everyone is saying. So are the Longhorns back? I'm not going to answer that question necessarily right now, but that was a pretty dang good win for Texas. The signs are there. The signs are there that this was about to happen. So many red flags on the Alabama side of things and so many green flags leading up to this game. I regret not making the Texas pick, but I did warn you that Texas was going to be legit this year, and I had to listen this whole offseason to people saying, 
Texas is overrated. They're overrated every year. They do this every year. They're projected to do good every year. This always happens. And I kept trying to tell you this offseason, no, not this Texas team. I know what you've been burned with in the past. Not this team. Not Sark. Not this program. And people just weren't willing to listen. And guess what? Texas goes out, gets that signature win under Sarkeesian, but job's not finished. Things could go the wrong way. You know what I'm more nervous about than anything as a well-known Longhorns fan? Uh, that road game in week four at Baylor, that is a pretty nerve-wracking game. You're going to have a lot of expectations on you if you're Texas. You're going to be a top three team, you know, provided you don't lose to Wyoming this week. And that's going to be testy because that's going to be a Baylor team that's most likely one and two with no wins over FCS programs this year. And they're not bad. They had Utah on the ropes. So this was a long time coming. Texas is here. Here right now, I'm not going to say they're back because I don't think they're back to the glory days or anything. For Alabama, losers of this game, they're in a key flexion point right now. Don't sell your Alabama stock yet. They only lost by 10. They didn't get whooped. They didn't get destroyed. People are going to try and compare this to Clemson and say, wow, Bama and Clemson both falling off? Don't do that. That is a completely separate situation. Alabama is a team that certainly is still very, very capable of winning out the rest of their schedule and just winding up in the playoffs either way. So no one get too excited about the downfall of Bama, which I see people like Paul Feinbaum jumping all over saying, oh, it's over. Don't get too excited. Next game, Utah traveling to play Baylor. The Utes won 20-13. to It was a 10-point come-from-behind victory. Uh, they were trailing by 10 late in the third quarter. A really gutsy performance by the Utes. This is huge for Utah. The Utes pull out a game that they typically haven't been winning in recent memory, and that's those non-conference Power 5 games. There was championship DNA in this team, and this could be the team that finally breaks through the playoff for the Utes, and it's because they actually took care of business in the non-conference. This just means they need to go now take care of business in conference play, which is something they've done well enough to technically make the playoff a couple times, and then there's been other times where they've lost in the Pac-12 title game, but the fact that they avoided a loss in the non-conference takes a lot off their shoulders as far as what they have to do in conference play. They now have a little bit of wiggle room. You can take one loss, even though the Utes aren't planning on doing that. I think that this team is a little different than the previous youth teams, especially with no Cam Rising. We haven't even seen this team at full strength yet. Uh, for Baylor, this is an encouraging game. I saw somebody saying, does this mean Aranda's on the hot seat? Do you think Aranda should be fired right here? More on the hot seat talk later. But for Aranda, I just don't see how you can have that kind of a game against a good Utah team that just whipped on Florida, by the way, and base, almost win it, but then have that seen as a negative. I thought that was a positive. I thought that was a really encouraging game from Baylor. They're not dead in the water like maybe some people thought they were after the loss to Texas State, but I'll tell you what, uh, this schedule for Baylor is not going to do any th favors for them. They, they are, are no gimme wins on the schedule, but I think Aranda can save this thing. Next game, Wisconsin 22, Washington State 31. The Cougars make a statement despite all the doubters again telling you there's no way Washington State wins this game. Everyone was on the Wisconsin hype train. This is a case of deja vu, man. It's like they ran the exact same game back, a game where Washington State controls the entire game and just dominates wire to wire and beats Wisconsin. And I'll tell you what, man, this Wisconsin team, they were never going to be a contender in year one under Fickle. And this is something that I subscribed to in the early, early offseason. As we got closer to the season, I started to realize, what are we doing? We're putting a lot, a lot of pressure on this first-year head coach, Luke Fickle. And he has a system he's trying to implement at Wisconsin that he can't even implement this year. 
a lot of people have used this as a strength for this Wisconsin team that, oh, well, they're just going to balance between the old and the new at this thing. I don't know if that balance is necessarily a good thing. It almost seems like they aren't able to commit to either philosophy because they're having to balance stuff like this offensive line that's built to run block and Braylon Allen, and they can't really air it out with Mordecai like they necessarily want to. So for Wisconsin, I think that they're having an identity crisis, and this is something that I predicted in the offseason. It's the reason I wasn't as high on them. I don't think that they're necessarily going to be the type of team that is able to be consistent week to week. I still think they could certainly win the West, and that division is wide open, let me tell you. More on that later. Next game, Ole Miss 37, Tulane 20. The Rebels take care of business. This was just a clean, clean game by the Rebels. They trailed for a little bit, never panicked. Jackson Dart, Quinshawn Judkins out there looking like a veteran, and the Ole Miss Rebels go out there and get a really solid win. No, Pratt was rough for Tulane, but I don't think that that was that big, as big of a deal as some people might have let on. I I think Tulane played about as well of a game as they could have expected to play in this one. Um, They were missing a lot of key playmakers. That's what it boiled down to. And uh, this kills uh, the one best group of five playoff chance this year, I think. There's not many group of five teams left undefeated, and the ones that are didn't play or beat very good power five competition. So I don't think that there is a playoff threat from the group of five this year. Tulane was probably the best chance if they won that game and then kept winning, especially because they started in the rankings, which Cincinnati kind of showed us that's what you had to do. So that's it. I think that Tulane being down uh, and losing to Ole Miss, that's going to cost them a playoff spot. But they could still certainly make the New Year's Six. That's possible. It's been done before with a loss. Next game, Colorado curb stomps Nebraska 36-14. The Buffs roll. Once they got the momentum in the second half of this game, it was absolutely over. Colorado hype is off the charts. A lot of people going to that Colorado-Colorado State game next week. And uh, it's kind of crazy. I'm not going to lie. It's a little crazy uh, that Colorado State is going to be able to be in the spotlight. That team doesn't have a win this year in their program. I think they went 3-9 and nine last season. Um, yet they're going to be in college game day with Colorado, probably get stomped by the Buffs. I believe the line was at like 20 in Colorado's favor. Uh, at Nebraska, Jeff Sims is a real problem, man, and not in a good way. He's a problem for the Nebraska offense. Two fumbled snaps, a horrible interception, and just baffling decisions throughout the game. Jeff Sims was a liability, and Nebraska's defense was playing a great half of football. I was telling my buddy that Nebraska should have been up 10 nothing at the half, and uh, I'll tell you what, man. That's just a rough, rough ending to the game for them as as Colorado just started to run up the score on Nebraska. And this Colorado team, man, they just keep winning, uh, winning enough that I, I'm considering putting them in my top 25. You will learn that by the end of the show, though, uh, whether or not they are in there. Uh, Matt Rule is a combined four and – actually, not four, three, excuse me, and 21. And now with these two losses, he's three and 23 in year one. So I don't think that's anything crazy. We knew Rule doesn't win typically in year one. But I thought the transfer portal might change that. And now I'm not so sure that it will. So I am a little concerned. And I made a video on TikTok earlier today on this. I'm a little concerned about Nebraska's future. So let's get to the next game. We've got Texas A&M 33, Miami 48. The Hurricanes storm in and win in Hard Rock Stadium. How about that? What an impressive win for Miami, and what an impressive game for Tyler Van Dyke. He is back. A five-touchdown performance, over 300 yards, nearly 400, I think. Tyler Van Dyke was cooking against a talented, talented A&M defense. I don't know, man. I think the Hurricanes could be an eight-win team this year in the ACC. 
The crystal ball stuff about him being a recruiter and not a winner was always, always a myth. He won multiple Pac-12 titles at Oregon and multiple New Year's Six Bowls at Oregon. He is a guy that can win with the talent he gets. And I think that this reaffirmed everything, I believe, this offseason. Texas A&M, they still have plenty to play for this season. Uh, they can now operate under the radar, which if I was an A&M fan, that's how I would want to operate, because especially because of how much they failed to live up to the expectations recently. But... Either way, it was a very entertaining game. And for the Aggies, they've got some questions. Their head coach has some questions. A surprising amount of teams that have head coach question marks in that first segment. So we'll talk about that later. But it's time to hand out my Budgeman Award. The Budgeman, for those of you who don't know, is like a weekly Heisman. But it's got my name on it. The Budgeman Award. Last week, this went to Dylan Edwards for a fantastic performance against TCU. This week, the Week 2 Budgeman Award is going to go to none other than Bo Nix. He was at the game I was at. He went 32 of 44 for 360 yards, two touchdowns, nine carries for 46 yards. He was phenomenal and made big plays all game, which brings me to the last dance tour recap. Oregon 38, Texas Tech 30. And before we get into the game breakdown, a little bit of lore about what happened on this trip. Uh, my car, about an hour into our 10-hour, 10-and-a-half-hour drive, to Lubbock, Texas, basically died. Uh, the check engine light turned on. I pulled over. It's a 2003 Toyota Avalon. Her name is Roxanne. Uh, a little sad about, about what happened to Roxanne this weekend. Um, pulled over, and the engine was just smoking, just straight smoking. And it was like, oh, baby, this could be rough. We were stranded on the side of the road for several hours. Uh, I had to get on the phones and convince the rental company that was about 30 miles north of us to stay open an hour later than they usually do just so we could get there with the tow truck and get a rental. So we got the tow truck, we got up to the rental place, we got in the rental car, and we rode the rental all the way to our hotel in Albuquerque that we were staying at before we ended up in Lubbock. So it was a whirlwind trip, crazy trip. Glad we ended up making it out there for the game because it was a great game, and we'll break it down in just a second. But uh, rest in peace, Roxanne. She was a great car, took me on countless, countless college football trips and countless adventures. I mean, that car took me everywhere from all the way up to Oregon, to Arizona, to Texas, to Utah, there were to California, all of California throughout. It, it was a car that went on a great many, many trips, and I had it since my freshman year of college. So uh, we'll forever remember that car, but sadly, it uh, looks like we're going to be retiring her uh, this weekend. Uh, she was a trooper, and she gave out doing exactly what she loved, and that was going on long road trips. So uh, shout out to Roxanne, and may she fly high. But getting to the game, Oregon versus Texas Tech. It was a classic. Oregon's defensive front is absolutely as elite as advertised. That was my main takeaway. They made the pick six at the very end to win the game. Two defensive linemen made that play, by the way, applying the pressure and intercepting the pass and taking it back to the house. There were multiple huge stops and plays made, including like a critical fourth down Texas Tech tried to go for. The Ducks' defense is good, and they made several, several critical plays throughout that game. I'll tell you what, though. Tyler Shuck is great. The way that they utilize him in that offense, I really think is great. He's a he's a total Swiss Army knife at quarterback. Those quarterback draws and keepers are so lethal to a defense. Tech is really good, and they're just as good as I thought they'd be preseason, but they're 0-2, which is crazy, and that's just the nature of college football. Don't sell your Tech stock yet. That's my main advice to you, but 
you know, it, it, it's been a, a tough start, but I think they can really regroup. So that's it for the recaps and reactions for those biggest games. We're going to get some water in us. It was a very hot weekend in Lubbock. The sun was directly on us for the entire first half and like part of the third quarter. Wow. A lot of water in the mustache today on the old sip from the water. Don't have the Pac-12 water bottle today. Um, I actually think I lost that in Lubbock. So a lot a lot of things went went wrong in Lubbock, really, when, when you're boiling it down. But I still had a great time. Shout out to Colton. Uh, very uh, welcoming. Gave us a warm welcome to uh, Lubbock, Texas. And he's actually tagged in the photo I, I took from the trip there. I actually forgot to take a photo in the uh, stadium. So it was funny. Uh, let's get to some of the biggest storylines. From this last weekend and from college football as a whole, the current state, biggest storyline, the Pac-12 just seemingly gets deeper every week. The Pac-12 ha- is now 19-3, and 19-3 and to start the season in the non-conference. Washington State beats Wisconsin. Oregon and Utah survive tough tests that could have easily ended in losses. Colorado, Oregon State, UCLA, and Washington all dominate to improve to 2-0. Arizona loses on the road at Mississippi State. They turn the ball over five times. They lose in overtime. They barely lose. That's a good Arizona team. That defense looks very improved. Oh, by the way, the AP poll dropped the other day. There are eight Pac-12 teams ranked. That is the most ever. I have. I don't remember a time I ever saw eight teams ranked in the AP Top 25 at any point. Maybe, maybe, I think I remember once the SEC had... Six of the teams from the West ranked, and then like Georgia and Florida ranked, maybe. But the Pac-12 is taking up almost a third of the rankings right now. That is mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing. The only teams that look a little suspect, I mean, Cal. Cal looks good. Cal took Auburn down to the wire. I think that's a decent Auburn team this year. They took them down to the wire after a dominant performance versus North Texas. They had to lead the whole game. You really, I mean, they really just choked at the end. And then... That leaves us with the last two, and Arizona State wasn't bad. They had a lead versus Oklahoma State, but they lost, and then Stanford got crushed by USC. Those are probably the bottom two teams in the conference, which is sad for Arizona State, but uh, something tells me the Sun Devils will have something to look forward to, and we'll talk about that later in the show. I know I'm throwing a lot of teasers in here, but I swear it'll be worth it. You just got to stick around. Uh, The next storyline for me, and this is something I thought about the other day, are Oklahoma and Texas flipped now? It might be an overreaction, but Texas looks like a legit playoff contender and a complete team. And then you've got Oklahoma. Oklahoma is highly ranked, yet they finished below 500 last year. They had a close game versus SMU. Could the Sooners be the team that's overrated and flawed and yet still ranked? And Texas is the team that is a legitimate playoff contender? Am I reading too much into that? I don't know. Maybe I am. But it's something you think about, especially because the two teams are so closely related. The Red River rivalry game or shootout, whatever you want to call it, will be a key this year. Next big storyline, who is going to win this Big Ten West mess? Jeff Sims at Nebraska is awful. Nebraska's 0-2, and they've looked dreadful offensively. Uh, What was that? I mean, they scored a garbage-time touchdown. Not counting that, they have, what, 17 points of offense through two games? horrible northwestern is garbage and don't have a coach yes they beat utep this weekend shout out to northwestern for getting that done they were one point favorites they won by 21 but they're still garbage 
Northwestern doesn't have a lot to look forward to this year. They might beat Nebraska with how bad they've looked. Minnesota is shaky at best with a ton of question marks. Cali McManus looks nothing like he was advertised. The receivers are horrible. Their defense looked all right against Nebraska. Nebraska made Colorado's defense look really good. Wisconsin lost to Washington State this last weekend. Nothing's guaranteed. They had a Buffalo team stick around for a half with them in week one, and that same Buffalo team lost to Fordham this weekend. Iowa looks like the exact same offense we saw last year, which is dreadful. Guess what? You take a system quarterback in McNamara and put him into a bad system, what do you get? A bad offense. That's exactly what Iowa has. They have an eclipse that 25 points mark that they set for Ferentz at the beginning of the season. They've scored 20 and 24. Purdue had an absolute flop versus Fresno in week one. Yes, they got a key win at Virginia Tech, but there are still tons of questions. And Illinois gets dropped by Kansas this weekend. I do think that's a good Kansas team. That's why I would slightly favor Illinois versus the field in the Big Ten West right now. But every single team on here is even shakier than they were projected to be in the Big Ten. And I just don't know who's coming on top in this division. It is a bunch of mid to bad teams. And some of them are even more mid and more bad than we thought coming into the season. And frankly, I love it. There's something about the mystique of this division that is kind of fun and entertaining at the same time, although it is very, very flawed. It'll be nice, at least as a byproduct of realignment, that the divisions are going to go away and we're finally going to be able to get a Penn State versus Michigan Big Ten championship or something to that effect. So it's the last year of the Big Ten West, and I'll tell you what, they're Big Ten Westing harder than ever. And so that is it for uh, who wins the Big Ten West mess. Uh, There's also some teams that I wanted to shout out because I always like to keep some receipts out there and get some stuff on the wall um, just to prepare for anything. There's a few teams that I think we could be overlooking at this point that could be teams we talk about in the future. And so here's a few of those teams. The first team, that's going to be Syracuse. Syracuse started the season 6-0 last season. Yes, they had a rough end to the season, but... There are some good things that happened for Syracuse this offseason, and it's a team I just feel like no one talks about over there in the ACC. They have 113 points through two weeks against Colgate and Western Michigan. Yes, I'll grant you that, but their offense looks pretty stinking good. They're 2-0. We're going to learn a lot more about them as the season progresses. They have a road game at Purdue coming up. That's going to be critical. I believe that is this week. Uh, The next team is also in the ACC, Wake Forest. Solid win over Vandy this last weekend. Pretty convincing. Mitch Griffiths is getting comfortable in the same system that built Sam Hartman. And Wake Forest was in the ACC title game two years ago. They're 2-0 to start the season. They look solid. Another team we're going to learn a lot about. Ironically, for both Wake Forest and Syracuse, their first big, big game is going to be that game against Clemson. They both have a game against Clemson. They both could be undefeated going into that game. We're going to learn a lot about all these ACC teams, and that's what's great as we get closer to conference play, but don't sleep on the Demon Deacons. I know they're a team that people like to overlook. Let's talk about Cincinnati. I know some people took notice, but that Pitt win really flew under the radar. They go on the road to Pitt and Pat Narduzzi, and they beat them. They beat them on the road. They were up 27-7 to at one point. Pitt comes back, makes it a close game. They avoid TCU, Texas Tech, Kansas State and Texas, the teams that finished first through fourth in the Big 12 last year. Emory Jones looks good. This Cincinnati team has a lot looking pretty good for them right now. And so do not sleep on this team. I think we're overlooking uh, this team right now. Uh, Last team on this segment for overlooking teams is going to be Missouri. 
Missouri has had a couple of ugly, ugly wins. A close win over Middle Tennessee this last week. Uh, win over South Dakota where they couldn't really pull away. So people are overlooking them again. Elliot Drinkwitz is a guy that could be having some coaching questions. Uh, they host Kansas State this next week. No one's really talking about Missouri, but if they beat Kansas State this week, we will talk about them. It's only a five-point spread on that game. Maybe they're just going to win ugly. Maybe that's how they'll do it. Their defense is really, really good. They almost won ugly over Georgia last year. Yes, they ended up choking that at the end, but that just could be their style of play this season. And if they can play like that and still end up on the right side of things, we can see the wins start to rack up for Missouri. So... Let's do a little bit of MacGuffin spotlight real quick before we get to a break. Uh, Washington defeats Tulsa to keep the MacGuffin. Uh, the Huskies extend their MacGuffin streak to five, and uh, they won 43-10. to 10. It was a dominant win. They didn't cover the spread by a couple points, which is the first time in a while they haven't done that. But solid win for Washington. Huskies improved to 2-0, and and they're going to continue marching. They march into East Lansing to play Michigan State this week. If you didn't hear what happened with Michigan State, uh, you should probably go to the internet because Mel Tucker has been suspended as the Michigan State head coach. There are a lot of questions right now. Some strange allegations have surfaced, and it is a whole mess with the Michigan State Athletic Department, and they're going to have a lot of questions, and Washington's going to go at Michigan State. It'll be their biggest test of the season, though. I'll tell you that much. A road game at a Power 5 team in the Big Ten, Michigan State, was kind of a sleeper this year, maybe. Without Mel Tucker, it's interesting. However, I think Mel Tucker not being at this game and not coaching for Michigan State could be one of those throwaway lines. And when I say throwaway line, I mean when a person is casually looking at the slate of games and they use a throwaway line to just you know predict the outcome of a game almost. Week one example would have been Florida versus Utah. Oh, Rising's out. Oh, Florida's winning that game. The throwaway line, the one key factor that people just hear and think that'll decide the game. With this game, people are going to say, oh, no Mel Tucker? Yeah, Washington's going to win this game. I think that a throwaway line could be deceiving for this game because it is going to be a true test, and we will see what happens there. But uh, certainly going to be an interesting game, the most interesting for the McGuffin this year. Anyways, moving on from that, don't forget to follow on TikTok. Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at CF Budge. And you can find In the Trenches with Tyler Budge, this podcast, anywhere you get your podcast, or through the link in bio on any of my social medias as well. And don't forget to subscribe to my weekly newsletter. It's linked in the bio of any of my social media. For those of you that are already subscribed to the newsletter and you're wondering, where was it today? I'm going to start dropping that on Tuesdays instead of Mondays. That way, there's not as many spoilers for the podcast because that's actually where I announce my guest, my last dance destination. Uh, a lot of stuff like that, which we're announcing the destination for week three later in the show. Going to be very exciting. Appreciate all you guys tuned in live in the TikTok chat, seeing someone saying, Baylor, come back in the century. They're going to go 10 and 2. Don't know if that's going to happen, but we will be talking about some Baylor football. Let's get to the hot seat check to see where people are sitting at this point in the season. The first category here is going to be heating up. And why not? Let's start with Dave Aranda, head coach of the Baylor Bears. The loss to Texas State, it's the type of loss that can get you fired, and it put a bunch of heat under a seat, especially after a really underwhelming season that result ended with a loss to Air Force in that bowl game last year. The close game versus Utah was nice, but Baylor must make a bowl game this year for Aranda. I don't think he can miss a bowl game 
and keep his job this season. It really feels like you've got to make a bowl, especially with the loss to Texas State. That is really ugly. Nobody on their schedule is going to line up and take their L. They play TCU. They play Kansas State. They play Texas Tech. They play a lot of teams that are going to be desperately looking for wins as well. They go at Central Florida, who's looked really solid so far. So Baylor's going to have to earn every win they can. And I like how much they tested Utah. It was a good sign. But Aranda's heating up, man. And Aranda could be getting some job security questions this year he already is and honestly that's something that kind of came out of nowhere for me I really thought Aranda was going to put things together this year and turn in a solid season but that's where we are Uh, let's get to the Indiana head coach Tom Allen yes they haven't played a game that they should win that they haven't won they played Indiana State they beat them this last weekend and they lost to Ohio State in week one yes it was close Tom Allen's still on the hot seat This game versus Louisville this weekend will go a long way toward his security, especially because they play a really tough schedule. If they can get a win versus Louisville this weekend, it might change the whole tone of their season. But a loss at home just could be really rough, and I think you're going to see things heat up a lot. So that's just a forewarning for Tom Allen. Uh, Watch out this weekend. We'll see what the result is there. They got a really key win last year early in the season against Illinois. That made it look like their season could end up going well. But... Things things did not improve from there. Uh, next up on the hot seat, heating up, we have Jimbo Fisher. His seat is red hot, man. It was already hot coming into the season. A&M really thought they would beat Miami. That was the sense you got this whole week. They really, really thought they were going to march in a hard rock and get that win. And it looked good at one point. It looked good. They started good. But, man, this loss bodes really poorly for Jimbo Fisher. Yes, the offense scored 33 points, and that was the question. But the defense gave up 48 so all of a sudden you're questioning everything if you're AM. Even if the offensive system looks healthier, they need to win now, man. They're paying that man a lot of money, and they need to win now. They need to win more games than they did last year. They need to win like eight games this year. And to lose a game like that ahead of SEC play, oh, baby, that is tough. They needed that win, and now they are in a tough spot heading to conference. They've got to win four conference games. At least they got to win five now because they lost the non-conference game. If you're talking about winning eight games, you've got to win five conference games now in the SEC. That is asking a lot. So Jimbo Fisher, man, be careful. Safe for now. There's some other coaches that maybe aren't necessarily on the hot seat. They might have been on the hot seat at the start of the season, but I think they've gotten themselves to a slightly safer place. The first name that comes to mind there is Justin Wilcox. Dominant win against North Texas on the road. And against Auburn, they looked pretty good. They battled. The defense played well. They just barely choke at the end and they lose. I don't discredit Justin Wilcox for that game. That was an impressive performance for that team. I think he has a little bit of breathing room now. They have to win like two to three games this year in conference play that they're not supposed to to get Wilcox uh, security as a coach because they're not making a bowl game if they don't do that. And there's eight teams ranked in the Pac-12, and Cal is not one of them. So for Wilcox, I do think that his seat has actually cooled off a little bit, but it could easily heat back up. We go over to Florida with Billy Napier. Napier and the Gators need to win this game against Tennessee, and I don't think that's too much of a stretch. I think they really, really need this win. They're 1-1. One one. They host the Volunteers. The Vols looked really shaky last week. Uh, Milton has looked a little shaky thus far this year. I just think the Gators really need this one. Right after this game, they play Charlotte at Kentucky Vandy. Three very winnable games. If they can win this one, they can get on a little win streak. They can be 5-1 and one headed into that game against Georgia, and then the schedule really heats up in the back half. The Gators 
I think they just need this game because they need to win these games that are in the swamp, especially when you look ahead to a game at Kentucky in a few weeks. Because if you drop that game at Kentucky and Lexington, which you easily could, the Gators have done it plenty of times recently, you could be looking at a below 500 start through five games. That would be three losses, two and three. You can't afford that. You've got to win this Tennessee game. I think it's going to be a pretty intense environment. And when someone like Stuart Mandel says it's going to be a dud weekend, I look to games like this and I say, come on, man. Uh, final category for the hot seat talk, not buying it. Matt Rule, people are trying to put him on the hot seat. Stop it. Stop. Stop. That's stupid. It's one year. It is year one. It's two games. It's not even one year. It's two games. We knew it would be a slow grind here. No one was picking Nebraska to do anything crazy this year. Their over-under win total is five and a half. They're saying maybe they could make a bowl game, which I think is valid. They still could make a bowl game, but it's year one. Look at his track record. Everyone calm down. The other one, Dabo Sweeney. If anyone goes up to you and tells you that he's on the hot seat, block them. Even if they come up to you in real life, block them in real life. Just it, That's not serious. It's not serious. Dabo Sweeney is nowhere near the hot seat. Could he retire? Sure. I could see that. There's no way that this leadership and this organization is going to fire this guy that built the program the second they show maybe some signs of regression. Also, people weren't trying to pay attention because they're too busy getting on the Clemson is dying train. They dropped 66 on Charleston Southern. That offense looked like they were able to work a lot of things out. Uh, they get to play FAU, then they host Florida State in week four. I'm very interested in that week four game. Very interested in how things will be looking. Very interested to see what the spread will be for that game and uh, how people will react to that. Because I think a lot of people have written Clemson completely off, and they are being looked at as a laughing stock of college football right now. I just think that's interesting. So let's move forward from talking all the hot seat talk and uh, you know all the speculation in that tier, and let's get to the last dance tour because we have to announce our week three location week two was a ton of fun in lubbock we in week one we were able to go to san jose uh and we've been we've been able to have some pretty good success i was able to meet a bunch of people that recognized me in lubbock which was a really cool experience shout out to the red raiders the week three location now week three is a week that Stuart mandel like i said he's been making fun of he's been saying there's not a lot of options there's not a lot of places to go to i think there's great games all across the country. And I mentioned earlier that I think the group of five is a little murky right now as far as who their representative might be. Well, there's a certain group of five team that is currently undefeated, and they have a Power 5 win, and they have a chance to go get a second Power 5 win in Week 3. So in Week 3, we will be headed to Tempe, Arizona to watch Fresno State take on Arizona State, the Sun Devils coming off of their first loss of the season to Oklahoma State. Fresno State is my group of five New Year's Six front runner right now, or dang close to it. And ASU seeks their first FBS win over uh, under Kenny Dillingham. I, Fresno State opens up as a one-point favorite in this game, so the line just came out a little earlier before this podcast. Two Power Five wins for Fresno State would be pretty crazy, and that would put them in the driver's seat. And uh, Jaden Rashada, he seeks consistency as a passer. Uh, for ASU, so it's going to be a spectacular game, and I'm really looking forward to seeing those guys do it. We'll see how that line moves. We may move on that and throw some bets down. Uh, we're going to be putting a lot down. 
But that is the announcement for the Last Dance Tour. And we'll get to the announcement for the special guest. This Wednesday, we will be having another guest. Last week, it was Rico Nose. Shout out to Rico. It was great to have him on, listen to his insight, and uh, learn all, a bunch of stuff from him. The guy is very knowledgeable about the sport, very passionate, and very opinionated, as I'm sure a lot of you picked up on. But the special guest for this Wednesday will be Matthew Sponauer. Some of you might know him as Matt. Some of you might know him as Sponauer. He's a corn expert. He's one-third of the Stay Hot podcast who covers the NFL. And he roots for three college football teams, which is very interesting. So I'm excited to have him on on Wednesday, and we will be talking all sorts of shenanigans. It's not going to be too serious or crazy. Uh, We're just going to have some fun and do some fun segments. So looking forward to that, and I know a lot of people follow him on TikTok, and a lot of people follow him on Instagram and Twitter as well. So it'll be really fun to have him on, and I'm really looking forward to it. So that will be on Wednesday. We'll make some picks. We'll talk some college football. Going to be a blast. The last part of this show today is going to be, as per tradition, breaking down my top 25 uh, for week three. So we're going to throw it up on the TikTok Live so people are able to see that. But let's go ahead and we're going to break it down team by team. We'll start at number one. It's going to be the Georgia Bulldogs. They haven't moved. They're 2-0. and They're still number one. And uh, just looking at this top six as a whole, I've got Ohio State in my two spot. And it's a little bit of shifting going on, and people might be looking at it and saying, Ohio State only won 35-7 against uh, an FCS school last week. And then week one, they only won 23-3 versus Indiana. People are looking at this offense and throwing up the red flags. Guess what? I don't care, man. I think this offense is going to be lethal either way. What I've been really encouraged by has been the defense. The defense has looked its part. And Jim Knowles is the guy that came in and said he was going to fix this defense. And I'll tell you what, it's looking pretty good. They haven't played a team with a pulse yet. Western Kentucky this weekend I think could be a pretty good indicator of how good that defense will be this year. Uh, But obviously they still have got some bigger fish to fry down the road. Coming in at three, we have Texas. Texas, the win over Alabama. Got to give them credit where it's due. It was an emphatic win, an undoubtable win, a 10-point win. Uh, a bunch of plays throughout the game. Uh, just Quinny Ewers looks like he's him. Uh, what a great game. Texas at three. USC at four. Their offense looks lethal, like the best in the entire country. Uh, they're probably in my playoff right now. At five, we've got Michigan. Michigan slides just because I think the other four have shown me stuff Michigan hasn't this far into the year and it's not an insult to Michigan at all I'm still very high on them as a team six goes Florida State the Seminoles a team got that signature win over LSU really nice I'm gonna need to see a little more from them before I hop on the hype train people have them all the way up at two right now that's a little much for me right now I'm gonna keep them at six at seven eight nine we've got Oregon Penn State Notre Dame those teams didn't shift around too much shout out to Oregon for a really tough road victory and rounding out the top 10 we have Alabama who's at one and one after their loss to Texas I'm not selling all my Bama stock right now and it looks like the AP poll isn't either they have them exactly where I have them at 10 Uh, getting outside the top 10 at 11 we have Kansas State 12, Oregon State, a couple of teams that have just had some nice, convincing wins. Kansas State dispatching Troy. LSU at 13th. Utah at 14th. Again, shout-out to Utah for an equally impressive road win versus a Big 12 team. Uh, 15th, 16th, 17th is Tennessee, Washington, Oklahoma. No real movement there. No movement after that for Maryland and Duke, which gets us down to 20, where 20 through 25, there's been some pretty big movement. Clemson at 20, uh, that's actually, that's remained the same. So let's get to 21, where North Carolina, they looked shaky. They looked very shaky defensively against App State. Barely pull out an overtime win. They're probably never going to want to play App State again. But 
I don't know, man. North Carolina, they have to host Minnesota this week. We'll learn a little bit more about them. At 22nd and new to my ranking is going to be Kansas, 2-0. Shout out to the Jayhawks. They dispatched Illinois very easily in that game. They're at 22nd. At 23rd, I have Ole Miss. Not going to shoot them up the rankings just like everyone did in the AP poll for their win over Tulane. I thought Tulane was a solid group of five team. Didn't think they were a top 25 caliber team. But the AP poll voters did, so they shot up Ole Miss quite a bit. At 24th, we have Washington State. What a win over Wisconsin, a team that has proven uh, they can win that kind of game under Jake Dickert. And now I've rewarded them at 24. And coming in at 25, why not? Another Pac-12 team. I alluded to it earlier. It's going to be Colorado. 2-0 with two Power 5 wins is pretty undeniable. Even if it was Nebraska and TCU, a few teams that we don't know a ton about necessarily and could be not great this year. Both those teams could end up missing bowl games, but... Shout out to Colorado regardless. They've done excellent. They're up at 18th in the AP poll. That's a little much for me. A little much considering, like I just said, they played a couple teams that I don't even know if they're going to make bowl games this season. Uh, We'll learn more and more about this Colorado team as we go on, as we will with everybody. If they've got a game against Colorado State, it's college game day. It's big noon kickoff. Going to be pretty fun this year. But that rounds out the top 25. A great, fun way to end this Monday show, as always. Looking forward to Wednesday. Looking forward to talking with Matt and having a fun time on the Wednesday show. But that does it for In the Trenches. Thank you for watching live, and thank you for listening uh, on YouTube and on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I appreciate you guys, and I will see you guys on Wednesday.